All right, you may remember some of the kids' talk imagery. I don't know if anyone else remembers the song from many years ago that starts with the same words, but it used to be one of my favourites. So Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you that the Psalms teach us, and thank you, God, that we can relate to you whatever situation we're in, however we're feeling. And so for each of us today, please speak to us, however we're feeling, whatever's been happening in our lives, whether you feel very close or a million miles away, please speak to us and teach us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. What does faith look like when you're suffering from depression? Uh, maybe for you this is an abstract question. It's a question for other people, not for you. Uh, I think that's what I had been thinking until 15 years ago, Narell suffered depression and then four years ago, I was diagnosed with a major depressive episode. Depression is closer than we think. It's actually more common than we think of the Australian adult population, one in six women and one in eight men will have a major depressive episode at some point in their life. At any one time in Australia, one in 16 adults are living with depression. So it's more common than we think. Now, if you haven't experienced it, you may not know what it's like. I want you to try and imagine waking up in the morning having no will to get up. This is not because you've been partying the last night or anything like that. This is, you want to curl up into a fetal position and just pull the covers over your head. You are tired. Tired with life. You no longer care about the things you used to care about. Instead, there's this aching tiredness because of the hopelessness and the helplessness you feel. 
you think life is pointless. You have an overwhelming sense of your own worthlessness. Your consuming thought, if you're capable of thought, because you aren't really, is despair, the desire to give up on life. That sounds depressing, doesn't it? Exactly. So if you're a Christian who suffers from depression, you can imagine that coming to church can be difficult. Uh, church generally has upbeat songs. People put a smile on their face. There are upbeat, warm, positive people, which is great. But you feel a fraud. So that only adds to your sense of worthlessness. You couple that with what you know of the Bible, which has commands like rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. And then you add guilt on top of your sense of worthlessness. And then, of course, the lack of joy in your life, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit, you know, that creates fear that maybe God isn't at work in you at all. What a terrible concoction of feelings. Despair, doubt, guilt, fear. As one of the young adults so eloquently put it, it sucks feeling depressed. What causes it? Depression may have an identifiable trigger, a traumatic event, a relationship breakdown, something like that, but it can also come without any situational trigger at all, like a virus you suddenly just catch. Well, why? We live in a fallen world, of course, where every part of us is fallen. Our fallen bodies make us susceptible to physical illness. Our fallen minds make us susceptible to mental illness. And that means depression is just part of our world. It's part of the human experience. And Christians are not immune. Now the situation, of course, isn't hopeless. We put our trust in God, he is the great healer. God can bring healing to our bodies, God can bring healing to our minds. And just as God often uses um, the expertise of well-trained people, doctors, etc., to bring healing to our bodies, God can use mental health professionals to bring healing to our minds. First application, if you're feeling depressed, go and speak to your GP. Okay, but back to the issue, what does faith look like when we're depressed? Well, Psalm 42 is really, really helpful. It shows us what faith in God looks like when you're depressed. It gives us words, a vocabulary you can use when darkness seems your closest friend. It teaches us how to relate to God when we're depressed. And for the rest of us who don't suffer, or haven't, um, it gives us insight on how to walk with someone who is suffering depression. A very simple method today. What we're going to do is go through the psalm line by line, okay? And at the end, I'll draw a short application, first for those who suffer depression, and then for those of us who don't, but want to be a friend to those who do. Now, usually we'd begin at verse one, wouldn't you? But before verse one is verse zero, that is the title, which is in the Bible, okay, and that teaches us. For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah, it's addressed to the director of music, meaning this psalm is a song that's meant to be sung, and because it's meant to be sung, it's therefore meant to be taught, 
And the value with songs is that song words stay with you, don't you? You go home from church on a Sunday and through the week you find yourself singing the songs you've sung at church. The fact that this song is included in the book of Psalms means that it is meant for all of God's people, not just one individual. It's to be included as part of the repertoire of their songs of faith that God's people can sing. And it's not just Old Testament believers, it's new. Colossians 3, we are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? So this is instructive. Most of the songs that we sing in church, most of them are upbeat, major key. And there's a reason for that. The gospel, which which we have to proclaim, is good news. It is a major key message. It's not a minor key. Major key. We have things to sing about. But notice that this song in the minor key, a sad psalm, is included in the Bible. Now, that itself is enormously validating for Christians who suffer depression. If you are depressed, you are not alone. Uh, This person, at least one, has been where you are. Meaning, you're not discounted in God's eyes, you are validated. Also, knowing that his experience was then set to music and then meant for other people, other people of God, that normalizes the experience for people of faith. And it gives us the words of how to relate to God in faith when we're going through this. And then the fact that this is one of the Psalms, it should make us ask that within the songs we sing at church, within our music repertoire, do we ever allow ourselves to sing sad songs? Ah, we had a couple this morning, didn't we? They are meant to be part of our sung song experience, okay? So let's dive in. Verses one to four in this psalm, and they'll be on the screen, but also on your leaflet. They describe the long, dark night of the soul. Verse one. Now, Alexa's already drawn attention to the song that many of us will know as the deer pants forth. I want you to set that song aside in your mind. It's a good song, but it actually goes in a different direction to the psalm, okay? Instead, what I'd like everyone to do just for a moment is to close your eyes, close your eyes. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a, a barren range of hills, steep hills in a time of drought, and everywhere that you look is brown, it's dry, it's lifeless, except your attention is drawn to something moving. You zoom in, it's a deer. It's staggering, it's hobbling slowly. It's panting. Its tongue is out, lolling. It is searching for water. It hobbles down to where the water hole used to be, but it's disappointed, there's nothing there. The deer, you see, lifts its head and hobbles up the dry creek bed looking for water, just just a puddle, nothing. Now I want you to imagine that you are that deer. You're desperately looking for water, that you, you need it to live. But of course, the longer you search for it, the more thirsty you become and the more desperate you get. You need, you need this water. Now I want you to keep hold of that desire for water, but now I want, instead of water, I want you to put in place God. You need God the life giver. 
You feel your need for him. You're desperate for him. Okay, you can open your eyes. As the deer pants for streams of water, so says the psalmist, my soul pants for you, O God. This person knows they need God. They need fellowship with God. They need to experience it, comfort from God. But their lived experience is nothing like that. Their lived experience of God is a drought, a thirsty drought. It's not just like they're looking for refreshment from God, as we might. Maybe this is why you came to church today, to kind of be topped up, refreshed. They can't live without experiencing God. They need God like a panting deer needs a stream of water. And there is an implicit challenge here, isn't there? Do I ever long for God that much? Do you? Do you ever thirst for the living God like that? Or, or perhaps like me, much, much of the time, you're just distracted by life's comforts and the things that come across your table. They need God. Okay. And this person longs to dip their heads in the stream of God and take that long, life-giving, reviving drink. My soul thirsts for God, the living water, verse two. Where can I go and meet with God? Maybe that's you. You know, maybe your experience is the things that used to fill you up with God just don't seem to anymore. You go to church, but you feel a fraud like you're on the outside looking in. Um, your Bible reading leaves you just feeling empty. It's just words. You spend time in prayer, but it's almost like you're just talking to yourself. And you're desperate. You need God, the living God, but you can't find him. And then, verse three, to add insult to injury, he says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? This is a triple whammy. First, there are the tears. Now, before I went through depression, I think in my adult life I had cried, as an adult, properly, twice. I'm not talking about a sad movie, I'm talking, you know, a big cry. Um, when I went through depression, I actually lost count of the number of times that I was sobbing. It just hit me. Tears have been my food day and night. That's the experience of someone going through this. And then there's the taunt, people rubbing it in, saying, where is your God? Now, that hurts because it's not as if that's a new thought to the person who's depressed, but it's rubbing it in. But thirdly, to have people say it or think it, which we can do, can't we? Not maliciously, but we see someone down in the dumps who's unspiritual and they're not living your own experience and then we can just think, oh, well, God's not with them, not walking with them. Where is your God? That's for a person who's going through depression like an additional lash across the back. And then there's the recollection. Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He looks back and recalls he didn't used to be like this. There was a time when he was there, he was with God's people, arms raised, exulting in the Lord with every fiber of his being. This was, this was his lived experience. Okay, he was an avid worshiper, and if you've got the older version of the NIV, it looks like he was the worship leader. But not now. And 
we noticing this reminds us that it's possible to actually go through immense highs in our life with God, but also very deep valleys in our lived experience of God. This happens, right? It happens. So then comes the self-talk, which is natural and, in fact, helpful, I think. It's natural to ask the question, why? Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's not talking to God, he's talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now, no one who's downcast or disturbed, that means unsettled, no one who goes through that likes it. But can you see that there's something therapeutic in actually just voicing the question? Because notice what follows. What follows next is the psalmist then being an evangelist to himself, speaking to himself, saying, self, put your hope in God because I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Most people with depression don't voice out loud what, what's going on in the inside, which means that if you need someone to encourage yourself, guess what? The one person available is you. You need to be an evangelist to yourself. You need to tell yourself, put your hope in God. Now that is really important. Um, that is an expression of faith. To tell yourself, remind yourself that there is hope. It won't always be the same. Though you're not wanting to praise God now, it won't always stay this way. That's your hope. And God is the one who gets you there. So to tell yourself to put your hope in God, that itself is an expression of faith. And I'm right in calling this person an evangelist to himself because the gospel is there in verse five when he calls the Lord my saviour and my God. He knows that this is who the Lord is to himself. Saviour and God. And then comes verses six to 10 and I want you to see what faith now looks like as he leans into God at this point in his life. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't do nothing and just fall into a sort of fatalism of despair which says, oh well, God's in charge, we're just his dangling puppets, he moves his chess pieces however he wants, we're just victims in the whole cosmic chess game. He says, my soul is downcast within me and therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. Hermon was a massive snow-capped mountain um, to the northeast of Israel. You could see it from Israel. It's the highest mountain visible. And from Mount Misa, which is a comparatively small hill. He's saying, no matter where I am, um, whether I'm at a place where you might, I might meet you on a mountaintop, for example, where the closest point between heaven and earth, or whether I'm somewhere average and ordinary on a little hill, I'll remember you. I'm gonna remember you. And then there's something impressive about the clarity that this depression has brought. Um, just a little aside, when I finished university, I ended up working with a psych professor as his research assistant. And this guy's area of research was mood, people's mood, and the impact that mood has on our thought processes. And he showed, uh, for example, why the reason why so uh, shops play positive, upbeat music 
is because when you're jingling a happy tune in your head, you don't make sensible decisions. <laughs> All right? It's, you, that's, that's best scenario for impulse buying. It's when you're actually depressed, then you're thinking clearly. Isn't that interesting? Um, this man is in a negative mood. And it's as if he's seeing clearly, he's thinking clearly. Everything that else that might distract him, which is worthless and pointless, has been stripped away, and he says they're worthless and pointless, exactly. And they don't mean anything to him now. And then he says, his lived experience, verse seven, has been that he's been like a pebble being pummeled by the surf. All God's waves and breakers have swept over him, crash after crash after crash. Um, this doesn't mean that God's dropped you, of course, but that's his experience. And the noise of what he's been going through has been deafening, you know, replaying things over and over in his mind. The roar of God's waterfalls, the roar of constantly being poured on. I don't know if you've ever stood behind a waterfall. It is so loud, so loud. In that context, he's not thinking about light distractions. He's not thinking about temporary enjoyments. Deep calls to deep is what he says. His soul, deep, deeply yearning, deeply calling out too deep to God's deep center, calling out with groans that words cannot express. So although depression is miserable, ironically, it gives him an astounding clarity that's hidden from the rest of us most of the time. He is deeply yearning for God. And songs play a part in him now leaning into God in this process. Verse eight, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with, with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Mike Rater, um, former Moore College lecturer and before that a missionary in Pakistan. While he was in Pakistan, his brother-in-law, who was also a missionary there, was kidnapped by Islamic extremists. And this was extremely worrying. And news got back, of course, um, to us in Australia, everyone was praying, and eventually after six months of being kept in solitary confinement, not seeing another human being, he was released. And Mike asked him how he was, he's in good shape. How, how on earth did you get through? He said he sang. He said those years that he'd spent singing in church had given him a repertoire of, he counted, 600 songs. And he sang during his long, dark night of the soul. And that fed him. Songs are really good. I hope you pray for our band leaders and those who choose our songs. Massively important ministry. Because these are the words, of course, that stay with us. So they must be soaked in biblical truth and in hope and in scripture and the gospel. If you're depressed, of course, one thing you can do is keep your faith alive by singing songs of faith. And they, the very act of singing them also helps you to grow faith. Look at verse nine, he's now grown in faith. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He calls God his rock. Now a rock is solid, very grounding. It enables you to stand firm. 
It won't move on you. And I think this is remarkable. He's not experiencing at that present time intimacy or joy or fellowship with God, but what he can say is that he knows that God is his rock. And the gospel gives us that, doesn't it? Tim Keller put it like this. To be a Christian is a standing. It's a legal position. It means to be a child of God. You are or you are not. There is no try. He said, if you're a child of God, you don't lose your status if you've had a bad week. Faith knows that because of Jesus Christ, God is our rock. And ironically, it's standing on the rock that gives us permission to speak freely to God and to be shockingly honest. (laughs) God's big enough to handle it. Why have you forgotten me? Have you ever prayed like that, honestly? It's in the Bible. You should try it. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And you couldn't ask those questions if God were not your rock. You'd be afraid. But knowing that God is your rock gives you a freedom in prayer. Ephesians 3 verse 12. In Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So he leans into God and yet... Despite him doing that, of course, the Bible is so realistic, isn't it? He doesn't then experience this miraculous U-turn. You know, if you were to plot the shape of most of the Psalms, they would go like this. They'd be like a U. They start up high, and then they, there's a crisis, and, you know, terrible, 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 call out to God, and then God delivers, hooray, praise God, like that. Well, not so here. Every, no, Notwithstanding everything that's been said, verses 10 to 11 don't end on the high praise to God. Instead, they describe an ongoing battle. And that's the case, isn't it, if you've had depression? Physically, there's a toll. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? It's it's so wearying. Okay. And spiritually, the question of verse 5 still gets posed. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He asks it twice in the psalm. Beginning and end. And the need for gospel-fueled self-talk remains. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Okay, I want to finish by making a few comments by way of application. First of all, to those who've suffered depression or maybe you're going through it now, maybe you will, but you haven't yet. Uh, I just want to say, hasn't this been helpful, this psalm? (laughs) I hope it's been validating for you. Um, When you suffer depression, you can feel second rate. You can feel worthless. Everyone else is worthwhile, not me. Having depression doesn't make you second rate. It's in this psalm. (laughs) It doesn't mean that God's dropped you, okay? In fact, The fact of this psalmist's experience, the fact that it's included in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, to be taught to all of God's people about how to relate to God in every circumstance of life, that's just normalized your experience. And what it teaches us is the value of talking to yourself until you can lean into God. Talking to yourself, being your own evangelist, reminding yourself that it will not always be like this telling yourself to put your hope in God, reminding yourself that God is your rock. 
being an evangelist to yourself when no one else is around. And then, of course, somehow that's helpful. It, it helps you to lean into God. Faith, when you're depressed, doesn't mean saying nothing and sort of resigning in fatalistic determinism. That's the great temptation when you're under depression. Faith, when you're suffering depression, means relating to God, even if you don't have the words. You know, groaning, if that's all you can do, that will work, all right? Deep calls to deep. Now, of course, it is possible if you're suffering depression to be so low that you cannot find it within yourself to pray at all. Well, I want to tell you that doesn't mean that God has stopped being your rock and your savior and your God. He is all these things for you. So I want to say, if that is the case for you, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. If you can't pray, let all the other people who know you and love you do all your praying for you. The reality is, in the Bible, you have some heavy hitters praying for you. Romans 8, 26 and 34. Paul says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Verse 34, Christ Jesus who died but was raised to life and is now at the right hand of God, he also is interceding for us. He's the one you see who understands, who's whose bones, in verse 10, really did suffer mortal agony, whose foes did taunt him, whose foes mocked him, saying, where is your God? And yet, the salvation that he brought us at that moment was so complete, so sure, so firm, that it's rock solid. End of Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He lives to intercede for us. Now, I want to say, if you're suffering depression, you can't pray, just comfort yourself with this. You have the two big, heavy hitters praying for you, the Holy Spirit and Christ Jesus himself. You cannot get more heavy hitters than that praying for you. So don't worry about it. Just let them do the praying for you. God will get you through. The Lord really is your rock, and he is your hope. And because it's guaranteed, he has made sure that you will yet praise him, your saviour and your God. You will, you will. He will get you through. Now, application for the rest of us. The rest of us do have a part to play. Depression makes people want to isolate, to withdraw. And part of recovery, any psychologist will say, in fact, Paul Kemp told me this week, uh, involves you, uh, requires you getting involved with other people. Church is really helpful. Belonging to a church puts you in regular contact with people who know you, who care, who'll miss you if you don't turn up, and who'll follow you up. Especially if you're in a growth group, right? That's especially where it will happen. Or you could be part of a ministry team, doing a ministry with people, and again, getting over depression requires you to get out and do things again. Well, you know, being on a setup, being on a pack-up, this is good. You, there's something helpful about moving chairs one place to another, <laughs> okay? It really is it's something you can do when you're depressed. It's good for you. It helps. And it's essential to recovery, not moving chairs, but doing things, all right? So, 
for the rest of us, for those who haven't experienced depression, um, don't feel like you need to jump into the role of being the, the counsellor or the psychologist if you're not one, okay? Please don't try <laughs> and do that. If you're depressed, you really don't want people sort of drilling into the core of your being and sort of laying it all bare again and again. It's not really helpful. Um, let the professionals do that, okay? Um, but what we need to do is, is be who we are. Who are we? We are each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of the church together. And to just be with them as their brother or sister, to accept them as they are, to welcome them by name, um, not analysing them, not quoting verses at them because you believe there'll be an instantaneous quick fix, um, but people who are just happy to do life together, to sit with them, to pray with them, um, to be a brother or sister together. And yes, of course, you can ask how they're going, and if they say not great, then you're okay with that. You don't have to solve them, you just let them be, but you're their brother or sister, you walk through life with them. And maybe you can say, look, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to tell me more? And maybe they will, but if they don't, that's fine. You give them permission. But what can you do? Well, what you can say to them is what the psalmist here says to himself, and he's given us the vocabulary, hasn't he? Um, people need reminding, you know, the Lord is your rock. You may not feel really close. God may feel a zillion miles away, but the Lord is your rock. He really is. He is your saviour. He is your God. Just remind them of that and remind them, of course, that he, being their rock, being their saviour, being their God, he is also their hope. It won't always be like this. That's so important for a brother or sister to be able to say, so encouraging, so helpful. Well, praise God for Psalm 42. Father in heaven, thank you so much for how you pastor us through your word. And our prayer is for all of us who maybe are suffering depression or will, Father, please be our rock, please be our saviour, be our God, be our hope. Give us that self-talk which is helpful and that we may lean into you in faith. Our loving and gracious God, thank you. We praise you for that great news that the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Spirit intercede for us. What a relief what a, what a great comfort you are. Thank you. Please bring us all through, for we will yet praise you, our Saviour and our God. Amen.